God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world did not recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become the children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. The reading of the word. Thank you, Neil. Thank you, Ed. Good morning, everyone, and good to be together this morning to worship the Lord. Beautiful songs that we've been able to sing this morning. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you. Oh, what an awesome morning to be here. And we need you, Lord, this morning. I have no idea from the various corners of the, the city and beyond that we've come this morning and what we've encountered this week and what you want to tell us this morning that is relevant to where we live. Only you can make that leap, that jump, build that bridge for us today. So we're asking by the power of your spirit that you would minister to us this morning. Oh, we're so grateful for the Gospel of John. We're thankful for these opening verses. They're high and majestic, and we're so grateful to be able to take a look at them today. So we ask your blessing, Lord, uh, that you would go before us now and that you would speak into our hearts in the name of Christ. Amen. Marg and I uh, went to seminary together in the U.S. Uh, it was wonderful to have that uh, privilege years ago, and it is years ago now. Uh, Marg fully intended to, to work, but because of visa immigration challenges, it turned out that uh, she couldn't work, and uh, my father uh, graciously said that he would take care of Marg's tuition so that she might study. And what a beautiful life gift uh, that was to Mark, a gift that lasts a lifetime. Uh, and so uh, just an awesome privilege for her to be able to study as well. We used to walk to seminary every day. It's only two blocks away. And on our way, we would, we would pass the stately uh, First Baptist Church, and it looked so large to me. Uh, coming from a small rural community and a small country church. And uh, it looks so stately with round uh, white pillars, columns that kind of welcomed you into the, into the entrance and into the, uh, into the auditorium. I never met the pastor uh, personally, but saw him lots uh, in public settings. And at seminary, we were required to do an assignment uh, that most students are required to do. If you're going into the pastorate, then you ought to, if you've never been to a funeral before, you ought to go to a funeral and you ought to take notes and then we would talk about it. And so uh, the assignment was to, uh, to go to some church, select a pastor somewhere, 
and uh, listen to him deliver a funeral sermon. And Dr. Roger Fredrickson from the First Baptist Church, church we'd walk by, uh, delivered a sermon that I will never forget. We got there just minutes before the service began, and of course that was our first mistake because it was, it was such a packed congregation that day that we were ushered to the remote section of the second balcony and uh, craning my neck to see and to hear, uh, I was absorbed and, and intrigued at how Dr. Fredrickson spoke so personally to the wife and family who had just lost their father and husband and well-known physician of the city of Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Well, while collecting resources for this series of messages on, First John, or on John, I discovered that I had in my library a commentary on the book of John put together by Dr. Roger Fredrickson. And I had forgotten that I had that. Uh, he wrote about John, uh, chapter 1, precisely what I was feeling. Here's his words. After brooding over the meaning of these short verses in John 1, 1 to 5, I'm more reluctant than ever to put my thoughts on paper. And that's what I've been thinking all week. But I know you're expecting something, so uh, I put some thoughts on paper. He writes, living with this prologue. The prologue is like the preface. Uh, it's the first 18 verses of the chapter. It's more than a preface. It's kind of a summary of the gospel. It's the heart of the gospel in the first 18 verses. He writes, is like standing in the foothills of an awesome mountain range, catching a breathtaking glimpse of massive snow-capped peaks reaching up through the haze. And uh, wonderful to kind of know someone uh, who has written a commentary on this great book. And so I'm grateful for his resource. And then walking further down the street, we came in the back way of the seminary building. Uh, and uh, Mark and I were custodians at the seminary, as well as students, in addition to being a youth pastor at the local Methodist church. Seminary is still challenging for people because you've got to raise your dollars uh, to get through seminary. Your primary purpose is to go to seminary, but you need the funds to be able to do it. And so you will do many things to be able to accomplish that. And one of my professors that I had very high regard for was Dr. Gerald Borchardt. He taught New Testament with a fiery passion, and he blew us away in class. <clears throat> Most lectures turning into a compelling sermon because he was so absorbed and so taken with his subject material. We will never forget how he stood at the side of the desk and, and put his one leg up on top of the desk. I mean, I, I don't know how he did that. And it was, it was truly a Dr. Borchardt move. And then he would talk. He would talk for most of the, the, the class in that posture. Wonderful scholar, wonderful professor and friend. And he starts his book by saying that, that he was part of the German Baptist Church in Edmonton. But he tells the story of being in an isolation hospital for nearly a year uh, when he was in the sixth grade. And when he, when he left the hospital, everything that he had that was in the room had to be burned uh, on his dismissal. 
However, his brother gave him a paperback copy of the New Testament uh, as he went in. So he's in grade six. He's going to be in the hospital for a full month. And these are the days before emails <laughs> and the days before texts and so on. And he said, I made a promise to God that if people sent me letters while in the hospital isolation unit, I would memorize a verse from the Gospel of John for every letter. Well, by the time he left the hospital, he had memorized almost all of the Gospel of John. What a great start. And he's gone on to write a very detailed, technical, and yet practical work on the Gospel of John. From wherever you are in your journey, I hope that you will look up to see the snow-capped mountains and experience the beauty of the heart of God in this great book of the Gospel of John and the heart of God in his son, Jesus, the Son of God. And I hope maybe that some of you will memorize some scripture, uh, maybe tuck a, a verse away every week and uh, just kind of broaden the bandwidth of your mind and your heart that would be wonderful. Well, we start right at the very peak this morning. Can't go any higher. Second Sunday in the Gospel of John. The highest elevation is the prologue. The section of verses from John chapter 1, verse 1 through 18. And I'd love to be your personal guide for a few moments this morning if I could. I'd like to travel with you to a place that, well, none of us have ever been before. You'll need to take your own vehicle, though. And I'll have to take my own vehicle. Doesn't matter whether it's a Chev or a Ford, even a Toyota, I'm sure, will make it, metaphorically speaking. Perhaps what you need is a strong, heavy-duty battery. Assuming that we're in an age when we've all gone electrical, you need a good battery supply. We're going to a place where no one has ever gone before. <clears throat> and I don't mean Star Trek. Your vehicle actually is your mind. And the battery strength you need to get there will be your imagination. If you have a real strong battery, you'll get more out of this journey. The more imagination, the better. Where is our destination? Eternity past. So we're traveling this way. It's like, it's like hitting the rewind button. We're going to push rewind, and we're going to go back as far as we can into infinity. <clears throat> we have nothing to compare the map to, uh, the journey to. The only thing that will help us is, is the map that will guide us in the, in the journey. And we're blessed to have a great map, a reliable map, the Bible, the Word of God. And the map will take us where no other map in the world could possibly take us. We're going back to the place where it all started. <laughs> and even my words are getting me in trouble. The place where it all started. Started is, isn't even the right word. When, you know, when we celebrate Christmas, we bring out the manger scene. And we look at it, and you hear people saying, you know, it all started here. It started here. But you know it didn't. 
Christmas becomes very, very exciting when you realize it didn't start there. Our journey takes us back further, back further than 2,000 years ago before the Bethlehem scene and Christ coming into our world. No, keep your battery charged up. Keep hitting the rewind button. We have to go back, back, back. You need all the battery power you can get because this trip boggles your imagination. These verses that open the Gospel of John take us further back than any other verses in all the Bible. As you're moving backwards at rapid pace, you're passing the record of the prophets. You're passing Elijah. You're passing David, and now Moses, and now Abraham, and now Adam and Eve. You're going back beyond the creation of the world, the universe, the planet Earth. Back, back. Do you stop at creation? Is this where the words of John 1.1 are leading us, in the beginning? Many think so, but I don't think we stop there. Your battery is zinging you backward into a strange realm. You enter, enter into a zone that was there before there was space, before there was matter, before there was sound waves, before there was anything physical, any part of creation, before there was darkness, before there was day and night, before there was time. Everything about this new zone is unfamiliar. Way, way, way back. Look at the map. In the beginning, the Word already existed. A literal translation of the first phrase is, in beginning, not in the beginning. The phrase lacks a definite article. It means an eternity past, before the beginning of anything, in the indefinite expanse of a realm without any time. Yes, in a beginning that had no beginning. The Word already existed. How's your battery? <laughs> Did you grasp that? If you cross the threshold of time, and material substance and go back further, there is no beginning point. But, but, but there must be some starting point. That's how things work. Blows your mind, doesn't it? Some circuits are shorting out in here. There is no e starting point in eternity past. We're not used to that. This is before there is such a thing as time. This is before there is such a thing as day or night or space or matter. This is before anything. But how did Jesus become? How did God become? We earthlings want to know. In a beginning that never had a beginning in this timeless, eternal realm. The Word already existed. 
So let's highlight with yellow our first destination marker way back, way back there before time. Number one, the word is eternal. In the beginning that had no beginning, the word already existed. The word existed in eternity past. We're using the term the word. I have to tell you this, uh, Dr. Carl Henry, who uh, was editor for Christianity Today for many years, also uh, one of the founding partners of uh, Fuller Theological Seminary, was invited to, to our seminary one day to speak on John 1.1. And I remember the morning so distinctly. Uh, the whole morning was spent on that verse, John 1.1. And uh, there were a hundred eager seminary students, paper and pens in hand, and they're going to learn from this well-known theologian. I remember listening to what he had to say, and it was so far above my head that I don't think I got anything out of it. My mouth was open. Uh, it was obviously good, but my battery was so weak, I missed it all. It was so different from my Sunday school version. What did he say? What, what did he say? I know you've never had that, but, but I do. John 1.1 1, 1 is, first of all, telling us that the Word is eternal. And we should stop to explain the Word. What is the Word? This is a reference to the second mem member of the Trinity, Jesus, who came into our world as an embryo, as a fetus, as a baby, born in a manger. The Christmas story, we know it. That's the Word. He wasn't called Jesus in eternity past. He was the Son of God. He was the second person of the Trinity. He was the Logos. But look carefully at John 1.14. So the Word became human and made his home among us. When the author writes, the Word became flesh, the Greek word is not terribly unfamiliar to us. It's the Logos. We use that word. That's not real unfamiliar. The Logos became human. And this is where Dr. Henry lost me in explaining the Logos. But I'll simply put it this way. The term Logos had a lot of meaning to Jews and Gentiles and to philosophers of the day. It was a strategic word to use in this period of time. And I guess one of the things that in my study this week that was so invigorating to me was to see how timely this word was and how amazingly the Spirit of God used this word in such a strategic time in history. The right word. Just the right word. You know, when you get the right word, what a difference it makes because it means so much. Words are important. We all have words in our lives that ring a bell. Probably in, in your vocation, whether it be an electrician or a teacher or a lawyer or whatever it is, whenever you hear a certain word, you get it. For the rest of us, it might just, I, I don't really understand the implications of that word, but you get that word. And you see the implications of that word. 
And that was true with the use of the word logos. God was preparing people for this term at least three centuries before John 1.1. That's what I found so amazing. Philosophers were using this term logos and were trying to express with the word that somewhere out there, somewhere out there, there is an uncreated divine mind that gives meaning and order to the universe. They were saying it. They were saying it three centuries before this was written. Isn't that awesome? Years and years before, the language was being used. The very word was being used that would ring a bell with many people. They were saying, there is a logos out there. There is something out there that created all of this. And then along comes John. And boy, does he grab onto that word. Because he knew how significant this word was. And he uses this word logos. Yes, he says, there is a logos out there. And he has always been. And he has always existed. And the logos was with God. And the logos was God. And the logos became human. He came into the very world he created. John 1.1 is all about Jesus Christ. The Word, the Logos, the one who existed before the world was created. He was in eternity past. Existing in eternity past was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Godhead. Friends, if I'm being laborious this morning, (laughs) putting you to sleep with all of this, please let me remind us that this is why John the writer picked up his symbolical camera and took some photos of Jesus because he wanted the world to know, really know, who Christ was. Don't confuse him with just another good man. Don't confuse him with being a created being. He is the Son of God. He always existed. He is the second person of the Trinity, the very Son of God, God of God, light of light. He is the one who came into the world to love us and to forgive us. That's amazing. This one from out of our realm of time and space stepped into time and space to identify with us and show us how much we're loved and he became an embryo. <laughs> he became a fetus. He became a baby. The Word is eternal. Secondly, the Word is coexistent. Verse 2 He existed in the beginning with God. The Word is co eternal. The Word is coexistent. There are others in the Godhead. We speak of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. They're all co-eternal and co-existent, existing before the creation of time and space. They're a wonderful team in eternity past and eternity present and eternity future. They're a wonderful team. Harmony, such harmony. So we say this harmony is 
Their harmony of the Trinity is, is out of, the, of this world. They're amazing. There's a beautiful cohesiveness in the Trinity. The Father is the designer, if you will. The Son is the one who implements the design. The Spirit is the one who empowers the implementation. What a team working together. I heard the little story of a mom who was doing some ironing downstairs. and As she was working away, her little six-year-old boy was drawing on the floor. A big piece of paper. He's just drawing. And mom said, what are you drawing? The little boy said, I'm drawing a picture of God. But the mom said, uh, no one has ever seen God. I mean, no one knows what he looks like. Well, the little boy said, they will when I get through. <laughs> the three in harmony are called the Trinity. Although the word is never used as such in the scripture. There's a beautiful relationship of unity that exists. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could experience a measure of community such as it's experienced in the Godhead. On the agenda of the Godhead, I don't know how to say it differently, was the plan that the Son would willingly come as a baby into the creation. And that the second person of the Trinity agreed to leave the community of the Godhead and come to earth in such a unique way and become the savior of this world. He would enter the world as a baby. The very world he made. By the way, there's another mountain range in scripture that is high and majestic and snow-capped. And it fits right into John 1.1. I won't spend too much time gazing at this mountain, but you should know it's there. And you might visit it as often as you think about the journey of Jesus to this planet. It's Colossians 1.15, and here's how it reads. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Do you catch that? Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation for through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things that we can't see. You can read the rest of the verses because they're so good. We had a prof in seminary, Dr. Powell, who used to say, this is good stuff. And uh, at refreshment time or coffee, we'd say to her, this is good stuff. And everybody, would, you know how we love to mimic our profs and have a little fun with them. Just just having fun, Sid and Kaya. We're just having fun. Don't get be offended with this. Colossians 1, 15 to 20 is so rich. Read it. Ruminate in it. Let it fill your heart over and over again. It's good stuff. Friends, this is our Savior. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. He coexisted with the Father and the Spirit, three in one. They are one in essence, but three in persons. 
They are one, but yet three distinct members of the Godhead. Oh, I know our batteries are shorting out again. How does that work? The Trinity, one God, yet three persons. The Father, who is the designer. The second person, the Son, who is the implementer. The third person, the Spirit, who is the empowerer. They are distinct, but the harmony is so great. The harmony is so great. They are one. It just blessed my heart to, to think about that again this week. They are so close. They are so in agreement. They are so connected in harmony. They think the same. They respond the same. They are one. And yet they are three. If you don't get it, join the rest of the human race for a few thousand years. It's more than my battery can handle because I'm an earthling. I'm so bound to this earth, to time and to space and to something that has a beginning and an end, something that when you add one and one and one, you get three, not one. But mainly appreciate the unity of the Godhead, the harmony of the Godhead. May it be an encouragement to live in community with others, a community that is rich and meaningful and leads you closer to the heart of God. It's powerful. So the word is coexistent. Finally, the word is the creator. Verse 3, God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. Let's just stay in our vehicles as we once again travel back into the realm before there was a beginning. Way back, the Word existed in the beginning that never had a beginning. If your batteries are in full charge, I want to use the map to usher you to where Jesus Christ existed before there was matter, before there was day or night, before there were laws of gravity, before there were sound waves or anything we know in our world, before all of that, before any of the galaxies into this great unknown we venture. And all that we know exists is the Godhead, the perfect existence of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And the union, as I said, is incredible. You can't describe it. It's a wonderful harmony. There's no competition. There's no conflict. There's no sense of wanting to separate and become their own country or just... Absolute oneness, uncreated perfection and love. And now the decision of the Father and the Son and the Spirit is to create something, to create. I was interested to see how this word is defined in the dictionary, to create. It goes something like this, to make or produce something, to cause something new to exist, to produce something new, such as a work of art, by using your talents and imagination. The Godhead determined that a creative process should now begin to happen. Oh my, imagine the perfect trio agreeing together in harmony that a creation process should 
commence. When creation began to unfold, then we call it the beginning. Genesis 1.1 In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and what follows is the word being declared and things coming into existence. Then God said, let there be light. And God said, let there be water, let there be sky, let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place so dry ground may appear. And then God formed the, the man from the dust of the ground. <clears throat> he breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils and the man became a living person. And then God said, it's not good for the man to be alone and God gave him a beautiful partner called a woman. And God said, and God said, and God said, he spoke the word. He declared it so. He, he created by speaking into existence that which was not. Wow. Think of it this way. You have a view of the Godhead. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit contemplating creation. They were going to bring something new to pass. They began to talk about creation. What does it look like? Can you imagine the discussion in the Godhead? What will we create? And we're still trying to analyze it. We're still trying to categorize it. And our learned specialists keep discovering the complexity of the creation. Oh, just last night on the news, 92% of the ocean has not been explored. And they're wondering and knowing that there are so many things out there we have not yet discovered. We are not creating. We are just exploring what has been created and we see how amazing it is. How amazing it is. Yes, there's lots of debate about how long they took to do it, how they did it, when they did it, and you can debate that for the rest of your life. But what is so astonishing is the decision to create was arrived at. There was agreement. And when you, you that are artists, uh, uh, must be blown away by thinking about this because you love to create something new. You that are inventors love to create, start a new project. But what will you create? And in the mind of the Godhead, what will we create? Here are the most creative powers in existence and they're ready to go to work. They're ready to become the master craftsmen. Oh, and what shall we make? What shall we make? Oh, why don't we start with the heavens and the earth? Oh, why don't we start with a galaxy? Oh, we'll throw in another million galaxies. What a profound and complex start. We will speak them into existence. We will start with creating a man and a woman. We'll put them together in the most amazing ways and we'll give them an eyes, eyes and a mouth and a head. We'll probably start with a head first and then give them eyes and mouth and then kidneys and a gallbladder and a liver and we'll assemble them in such a way that they can eat food and ham and eggs and pancakes and orange juice and hash browns. What else you got back there, Bob? The creation was extensive. And God created everything through him. I read that as if to say that both the Father and the Son were involved in creation. Both had a part. Perhaps the Father was the designer along with the Son, but the creation happened through the Son, the second person as we know him. Jesus is co-eternal with the Father. 
He was not created, and he himself is the creator of the world. We're still grasping his beauty, and, uh, and we're so appreciative of all that he's made. Everything owes his existence to the word. The word which became flesh, he created it all. The beautiful Edmonton River Valley, the beautiful mountains that stretch between Jam uh, Jasper and Banff, the land out here as you drive close to the city, beautiful crops of barley and wheat and canola ready to harvest. He made it all. You owe your existence to him. You are his beautiful creation. And when the creation was marred, when our lives were stained with sin and we couldn't find our way, the creator himself came to the very planet he made the very earth that he created, the hills of Judea, the Sea of Galilee, baptized in the Jordan River that he created, he came to us as an embryo, as a baby. And to all who believed in his name and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. He's the final word. He's the final word. You know, sometimes we say, as with the program, you know, do you want to be a millionaire? And when it comes down to answering the question, the host said, is that your final answer? And the contestant says, final answer. The word is our final answer. He's the final answer. He's the one who breathes life into us. Bow down before him. Worship him. This is not another man. This is the one who always was who never had a beginning. This is the God-man that we worship. He's like none other. We have this truth today that he is the Son of God. And this is written that you might believe that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name by his power. If you want to know him, believe in him. Give your heart to him then just open your life to him. I'm going to invite you to stand. There's a prayer that's uh, on the screen. It's a prayer of invitation to invite this second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, into your life. Now, I know that probably for most of us, we prayed this prayer a long time ago. What an opportunity to reaffirm what we did, and just to say to Jesus in our hearts again today, thank you for coming into my life. If you've never received him as your Savior and Lord, pray this prayer with us this morning and say, Lord, would you come into my life? I know, understand who you are, that you are the Son of God. So would you read it together with me? Lord Jesus, I love you. I give you my heart, my life. I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you always existed, but came to us and took on human flesh. I surrender my life, my future into your leadership. Forgive my sins. Take the steering wheel of my life and lead me forward. In Jesus' name.